about music, health, wellness, and activism that will help you to find balance between life as a musician and self-care through health and wellness. I'm your host, Jazzy Piggott, a tuba player, composer, certified personal trainer, writer, and podcaster based in Baltimore, Maryland. In this episode, I interview Alice Mileman. Alice is my former therapist from Ithaca College. Alice is a clinical social worker with over 30 years of experience in the mental health field. She had worked in settings including community mental health, inpatient psychiatric hospitals, and for the last 24 years served as a therapist at the Counseling Center at Ithaca College in Ithaca, New York. She obtained her master's in social work at the University of Nebraska in Omaha, and in her free time she enjoys choral music, singing, cooking for family and friends, mountain and tandem bike riding with her partner, and singing Broadway show tunes. She's always up for a good conversation, whether in person, on the phone, or in Zoom. Because this conversation was long and it inspires a lot to think about, I am releasing it in two parts. So in this part, part one, we discuss Alice's inspiration to start social work, what she loves most about it, the sedentary nature of most jobs and what to do about it, why good communication is important, the benefits of group therapy, how someone with social anxiety can get involved, and tips for good communication in relationships. So I hope you enjoy our interview. Anyways, so tell me about yourself, Alice. Well, uh, my name is Alice Mileman, and I am living currently in Ithaca, New York, where I've lived for 24 years. I'm originally from uh, the D.C. metro area, uh, specifically Arlington, Virginia. I always like to share that because I'm very proud of having lived there and grown up there. It was a very rich experience. I've been a clinical social worker for 39 years, and I've always worked in a mental health related field. Uh, That includes um, community mental health work, inpatient psychiatric work, and most recently for the last 24 years in Ithaca, I've been a therapist at Ithaca College in the Counseling Center. So I've been working with college students. Um, anything else you'd like to know? Yeah, why did you get into therapy originally? What sparked that? Well, I mean, I, I'm going to answer that question a little bit differently. I'm going to talk a little bit about why I got into social work, first of all. And, um, you know, there are many ways to be a social worker and being a therapist is, is one of a variety of ways. And What inspired me to get into social work is kind of a neat story. I was working as an aide at a residential care facility for young adults and children with mental retardation. And, you know, now the correct term is intellectual disabilities. So I'll use that term now. 
And I was exposed in that job to a variety of professionals who worked with our kids. And the social worker's job was, was the one that really intrigued me. The social worker that worked with our unit made it one of her missions to reintroduce one of the boys that lived in my unit to his parents who had essentially abandoned him when he was born based on medical advice that he was not going to be, you know, ever, ever be uh, a functional person in society and, you know, was so severely disabled that he would be better off in residential care. Well, he was quite a lovely young man and he, what, he had a, a mild to moderate intellectual disability and yet was, you know, very communicative, very sensitive person, just a really, really neat kid. And the social worker was able to reconnect him with his family and they ended up taking him home. And that experience, seeing that, said, I said, I want to do that. I mean, maybe not that exact thing, but I want to work with people and families and um, I want to be a social worker. And that was what inspired me. Although I will tell you that the second, I mean, I know this, this podcast is about communication and my second choice was a speech and language therapist because I learned how important communication was. You know, those, um, you know, many of, of our kids had communication deficits and, you know, they would act out in very aggressive ways because they couldn't communicate verbally their feelings and needs. And seeing them learn to develop some communication skills whether it was sign language or just, you know, even learning some specific helpful words really helped decrease their behavior problems. So I thought communication is important and I wanted to be able to work with that in some way. So being a therapist to me is really all about communication and helping people connect through good communication. So that's kind of a long answer. <laughs> oh, it's like, it's a really interesting story. Come yeah, yeah, that will stick with me forever. <laughs> so what did you like most about being in social work or therapy? Well, I guess I, I find people in, infinitely interesting, wonderful, and lovable. And I love spending time with people. And making what I would call authentic connections for me, both in my, you know, whether it's personal or professional life, forging authentic connections with people is something I value. Well, I think because that's such a strong value for me, and I believe that mental health is a right, and that if someone is experiencing a barrier to good mental health and their quality of life, you know, that's something that, you know, I, I feel like being part of the solution to that with a person is just so rewarding. And I can't think of a more valuable way to spend my work life 
then, you know, partnering with, with people to help them overcome barriers to good mental health. Yeah, I imagine you work with like hundreds of clients, right? Yeah, thousands, really. Wow. <laughs> uh, I mean, when you think about how many years, it's really uh, kind of unbelievable. And do you remember really each of them, really? Or is it like some I of them re- stick out? Or Absolutely. Yeah, I, I remember many of them. I um, Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, you know, there are people I worked with in, in the um, in psychiatric hospital who I just worked so closely with for, you know, weeks and weeks and sometimes months to, my job there was a little bit different um, than my, than being a full-time therapist. I often was part of a team or always part of an interdisciplinary treatment team. And my particular role was was often um, helping them to devise a discharge plan. And so some of them were very complicated, have very complicated social situations. So it, it took some, some effort and exploring resources and you know, trying to find the right placement. You know, that said, I did do therapy when I was working inpatient. Um, family therapy, I did a lot of family therapy. And I do remember very well many of the of the patients I worked with, and then clients over the years. And now, of course, in in um, college counseling, you know, I might work with someone only once, or and I might work with someone else, you know, every week or every other week for a long time. So that makes a difference in terms of, you know, how well I might remember someone. But you know, I think the one other aspect to being a therapist, I tell people that. Um, I have a very good memory. And I think that because I practice remembering, being a therapist involves paying close attention for a long time, um, being very focused and listening and being very tuned in and you know, remembering what people talk about and say and make connections with you know, things they're saying now compared to maybe something they talked about several sessions ago, putting things together. And I have a pretty good memory for clients sometimes that I only saw one time. You know, that's not always the case, but but I I do remember. When we worked together, that was one of the things that I really appreciated because it just seemed like you just kind of knew, you kept track of everybody and I was like trying to rehash it. You're like, yeah, I remember that from last week. It's like, oh, okay. So yeah. <laughs> it's always really nice. What do you like least about being a therapist? I think there's really only one thing that I like the least, which is that it's kind of, it's a sedentary job. And so I get sometimes physically restless. I, when I'm not working, I really like to be active and moving. I'm real, I'm a big fan of exercise and you know, I often, I, I use my local YMCA or, you know, exercise outside when the weather's nice, but I have to move. And sometimes during the day too, I have to get up and stretch or just, but sometimes that's not possible. So at the end of the day, I'm usually headed to the Y after work. 
Yeah, there's so many sedentary jobs, especially like for the musicians who are listening to this. Yeah. It's very sedentary. And then you spend hours of the day when you're not actually in the rehearsal, just sitting down in a practice room trying to get your part right. It's, it's so, oh my gosh. Like when the pandemic was happening, I forgot about that because I wasn't practicing nearly as much. But now that I'm back to like the flow of things, I'm finding it hard to fit that in since I am just sitting still all day. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know you're you're very uh, motivated for exercise as well. Yeah. How would you recommend to other people in sedentary positions? Like, what are your tips for them to stay active? Ah, I think finding movement or exercise that you enjoy is so important. Um, I talk to a lot of people who who say they don't like to exercise. And I feel like they just haven't found what works for them or what they enjoy because when you enjoy it, then it becomes its own reward and its own motivation. You want to do it. It's not something you have to drag yourself to. So I think to, you know, to keep trying different things, if working out on machines at the in a gym doesn't work for you, then try something else, try a dance class, try a, just walking, set some, set a small goal and just keep trying different things until you find something and maybe try it a couple of times. Don't just give up after one session. Another thing that, that I have done in my life when I've been very squeezed for time, it wasn't that I didn't like exercise. It was that I had a hard time finding time for it. I'm not really a morning exercise person, but I realized that I was not going to fit it in unless I did it in the morning. So I would sleep in my workout clothes <laughs> and I would put my shoes. I, that was back in the day when I could run. I, I can't run anymore because I have a torn meniscus in my knee. But um, back in the day when I was running, I would just, I would put my shoes and my jacket if I needed one, you know, the, the, the last trappings of what I needed to wear by my bed and I would sleep in my workout clothes. And then I get up and I just <laughs> make myself roll out of bed and put on the shoes and go outside and start running. Even if I had my eyes closed for the first, <laughs> I did not live on a busy street. <laughs> um, I would just start running until I kind of woke up and then um, kept running. So that I think kind of tricking yourself a little bit like okay I'll just go for 10 minutes I'll put on my shoes and I'll just go to the the Y or I'll just go out for 10 minutes but then you kind of know that once you get yourself there you're the action is going to be get motivation and you're going to keep going yeah um, so just getting yourself going yep they always say the hardest part of going to the gym is actually getting to the gym. And then once you're, yeah. there, you're, you're there, so what else are you going to do? Just go right back home? No. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I wanted to focus this more on communication because okay. I know that was an episode that you wanted us to put on. And then I figured that who better to talk about communication than you, because you've done so much through that. So what is the value of good communication within a group? I, I believe that good communication is the lifeline to any relationship. 
And so group therapy, you know, people often get into groups because, or get into therapy because they are having some problem in a relationship or problem relating or connecting in general. And so the value of group therapy is giving people say a safe space to practice ways of expressing themselves, asking for what they need, expressing their feelings that they might not be comfortable with in their own, you know, in their daily lives. So the value of, of good communication in a group is that it can translate into good communication and relationships, you know, outside of group in one's life. I was going to okay. ask, like, as a follow-up, though, what are the values of group therapy? Because I didn't ask that question. Well, <laughs> I, kind of, I guess I kind of led with that. Yeah, it's it's a way to, for a person to get a variety of perspectives, not just from a from the therapist, but from other people. And that that dynamic, creating that communication dynamic within a group, <clears throat> can kind of mirror some of the dynamics that happen on the outside. For example, let's say a person feels disconnected from others and has a hard time asking for what they need. The therapist can encourage them in the group to break that cycle of silencing themselves about what speaking up for what they need. And then risk-taking is important in developing new communication tools, being willing to, you know, say things that you're not comfortable saying or expressing feelings that you're not comfortable expressing and learning that it's actually okay. It's safe. Other people will respond in positive ways. Another example might be someone who is used to taking care of other people, always giving to others, but never asking others to take care of them. You know, that it might be the person in the group then who's always responding to other people's problems and really getting in there and being a great listener to other people, but then never asking the group for something for themselves could be encouraged by the therapist to uh, take, let that person or ask that person to go first in group next time so that they are prompted to, okay, get attention for themselves when they're not comfortable. But that's important in relationships that not that you not just give care and attention to others and support, but that you get it for yourself. So those are just some examples about how group therapy sometimes operates and how it can be helpful. So, cause you know, I have social anxiety and most of the audience probably figured it out, but now they know. So how would you recommend for somebody with social anxiety? Cause it seems like it could be really helpful for somebody with social anxiety because you're practicing those social interactions with people you might not know well, and that there's no sort of risk there. So how would you convince mm-hmm. somebody like that to get, over that hurdle of being in a group to go to a group. Yeah, group group therapy is great for for um, working on social anxiety. And like you said, the the challenge is getting the person to the group because it can be very scary. And you know, people get what they need when they're ready sometimes, and then at other times. Uh, a wise spiritual uh, mentor told me one time that when you experience fear, 
it's it's communicating one of two things. Either there is danger, run away, or there is an experience that will help me grow and I need to move toward it. And the fear of going to group therapy for someone with social anxiety represents the latter. It's that experience that's going to help them grow and they it's important to lean into it and you know rather than look at it as oh that's that's danger I should run away it's not it's it's that it is uncomfortable and it requires some courage to step into that space where that's uncomfortable and so sometimes it does take well, for example, at, at um, the counseling center at Ithaca College, you know, sometimes it would take a long time for someone in individual therapy to kind of work up the courage with the support of their therapist to try group, to try moving from the safety of individual therapy into what feels scary about going into a group. And that can be such an important step. And sometimes it's really helpful to have both, to have a, say a group once a week and an individual session every three weeks to maybe do some processing about how it, how group is going and what are some risks, uh, which what I call personal growth risks that would be good to take in group to help, you know, help your progress. Okay. It's still just, you just kind of have to do it. <laughs> Yeah, there is that. There is that <laughs> kind of when you're ready to do it, just or even when you're not ready. It's like when ready or not, just do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in all forms of relationships, there needs to be good communication. So how I guess you did already touch on how like group therapy can connect to like good forms of relationships. So what's the value of good communication within personal like relationships, whether that's significant others, friends, maybe teacher, mm -hmm. student, just all the sorts of relationships everybody has with different people in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I kind of go back to that communication being the lifeline for any relationship because Without communication, I mean, there is an aspect of, of all of our lives where we are alone. I mean, no one gets to live inside our, our bodies and our minds. The closest that you can get to helping someone else know you is to communicate your inner experience. And, you know, I, I think really most people to live a happy life and a quality life really need connection with other people and communication and connection just go hand in hand. And I wanna add a word to that, which is authentic connection. Um, I mean, we can have many conversations with people in a day or a week and still feel not completely connected. So it's the quality of communication also. and. I don't know if you're familiar with Brene Brown. Does that name yeah. sound familiar? Yep. Yeah, she's a, um, a social worker and professor in, in Texas. And she wrote many books about 
communication and connection. And she talks a lot about shame as being a barrier to a lot of people risking that authentic connection. And it's when we do that, when we take that risk to express what's really, what our truth really is, that you feel that complete, you know, that uh, rewarding communication. And, you know, you don't need to have that with everybody, you know, that could be exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I mean, you, you know, that feeling you have when you've had a, just a real heart to heart with your, with a good friend, you're going through something and you just take that chance to let them know how you're really doing and what's really going on, how you're feeling, or you, you just, you really have a, this really good discussion and you each share your opinions and your beliefs and your values. It's just, it feels great. And allowing yourself to be, to do that can sometimes feel a little scary because you're not, you not you're not always sure how someone else is going to receive what you say, but I just think there's nothing more, more important than that authentic communication and connection. Yeah, I like how you added that qualifier of the the authentic, because I feel like a lot of people will talk about like superficial relationships as if they're as serious, but they're really, they're, they're not, they don't take as much of an emotional investment with people. Mm -hmm. So do you have any tips to maintain good communication? Um, Sure. Yeah, I think one that comes to mind is to listen with the goal of understanding rather than trying to prepare what your own your response you know often you know we listen thinking about kind of moving ahead with okay well what am I going to say back rather than really understanding what the other person is is trying to communicate and one skill to develop is being able to to reflect and there is I mean you can reflect both content and emotion one of the most profound responses when you're listening is to reflect emotion and reflecting content is important too but you don't necessarily need to mirror exactly what the person says to reflect. It's helpful to, for example, you're, you're in a conversation with someone and you know they share something with you. Before responding, before inserting your own response, it's really useful to say, okay, here's how I understand what you just said. And then reflect back what it is that you that you got, what the what's the meaning you got from what they just communicated, and then check out with them to see if that was accurate. And then if they say yes, then yay. Um, you can say, okay, what what else? If they say no, not quite, or maybe you got that right, but not this, and here's what I meant here then you can keep fine tuning it until you really can, can express an understanding of what the other person 
was communicating. Another very common tip for good communication is using I statements. And I always hark back to kind of the basic um, premise of assertive communication, which is to share how you feel and what you need or want. You know, and that can be especially helpful if there's conflict, which is, I think, one of the, that often scares people. Like, uh, I don't like conflict, you know, I hear a lot, <laughs> or I don't like confrontation. And, you know, and really confrontation is, if you think of it as just a conversation where you're going to learn something about the other person and they're going to learn something about you. If you speak truth in a, you know, trying to, to talk in a calm way, that's not always possible if you're really worked up about something. But if you can express it sort of, here's how this is landing on me. Here's how I'm feeling right now. My partner's really good at that. He's shared examples, even in his professional life, when, you know, someone's being a real, I mean, okay, this is not, uh, this is not a clinical term. Someone's being a real jerk <laughs> to, to him. And he'll say, or, you know, says something really offensive. And he, he will say, that really hurt my feelings. Is that what you were trying to do? Were you trying to hurt my feelings? And, you know, say it in a calm way that just kind of, it's a way to express yourself. I mean, you're, you have to be willing to share that my feelings were hurt. And then it gives the other person an opportunity to say, oh, well, no, I really didn't. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I was, I was just trying to you know, communicate X, Y, Z. And then it you know, gives them feedback. So sometimes confrontation and conflict is really, if you can take one step back and not get emotionally reactive to it, you can, you can name what's going on and have an opportunity to each express something. So let's see, there's, yeah, there's um, listening to understand, using I statements. I think being willing to come back later if you feel like something wasn't resolved in a conversation, not expecting that everything can be resolved or that understanding can be, can occur in one encounter or one conversation or one communication. So to come back to it later and say, you know, I've been thinking about our, you know, the conversation we had earlier and something still just isn't sitting right with me. Do you, you know, do you, do you mind revisiting that for a few minutes? Ah, and that gives me another clue. Getting people's permission for feedback hmm. rather than just diving in and saying, you know, you did this, you said that. You know, you hurt my feelings. Can sometimes preface it by saying, "May I give you some feedback, or can I give you some unsolicited advice?" Unsolicited <laughs> advice is usually not well accepted. <laughs> but if you ask permission, that usually a it it 
it piques a person's curiosity. Usually they will say yes, because they're curious what you're going to say, but it also gives them a little bit of buy-in. It's like, okay, I've, I've opened the door. You didn't just, you didn't just barge in, you knocked on the door first. That can sometimes lead to a better outcome and have a more likely of be more likely to not, you know, make the other person defensive or have some understanding. Okay. In the event of a miscommunication now, how can you correct the problem? Yeah, that's, um, that's important because that happens all the time. Communication or good communication, effective communication isn't easy. It's not just about saying words. And if there is a miscommunication, which usually, you know, results in some in, in, in a disconnection, when, like I said before, and you know, I think people really want connection. And being willing to name a disconnection or a miscommunication is the first step in forging, you know, a connection. And I think, you know, some of the things I just said about ways to communicate effectively, you know, asking for permission to talk about something. If you're the one who wants to address a miscommunication or some, you know, a way that you felt unheard or something that's off in a relationship, having some openers, that's often the place where people have trouble, like, well, how do I get that conversation started? You know, I can think of many occasions when, you know, for example, a student that I might be working with really, really needs to talk about something with a roommate or a friend or a partner, and they've been holding it because they just don't know how to start the conversation. So we sometimes brainstorm openers and one that's kind of tried and true is simply, I need to talk to you about something. Can we find a, a time? Um, is now a good time? If not now, is there a good time? You know, I might need 10 or 15 minutes. Kind of setting the stage that you need to talk and getting the other person on board. And then, you know, when you've gotten there, their cooperation, hopefully, then, you know, they might say, well, yeah, how about now? What's up? Then you begin. And again, you're trying to use some of those skills, like, you know, expressing what you need, what you're feeling, naming where you felt the disconnection or the miscommunication. And when the other person is explaining, listen to understand all of those things then, then can happen. Yes, there's, there are times in a relationship when in spite of your best efforts, you just can't seem to resolve a miscommunication or a conflict or a disconnect. And you know, professional help or mediation can be helpful. Couples or relationship counseling, you know, I, I've done a lot of that over the years and really enjoy that a lot. But those are, you know, that that is part of relationships. And, you know, 
being honest when, when conflicts happen, being, you know, that, that's a, another thing about being willing to, to express your truth. And, you know, someone says, are we okay? And you say yes, just for expediency when it's really not okay yet. <laughs> Maybe, then you come back later and say, well, <laughs> when you asked me if I was okay, I said, yes, but you know, I, I'm really, I'm, I'm kind of not. And can we keep talking? That risk to be vulnerable comes in. But, yeah. you know, the, but hopefully you do reconnect and then it feels so good when you do. Yeah. Having the weight off your shoulders of like something you've been holding in for a while, especially when yeah. it was a really easy conversation. They're just like, oh, okay, that's fine. And like, you were like thinking about it for weeks on how to talk about it and it was okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you've had that happen. Yes. A lot. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the first half of our conversation this week. Next week, we'll be back to talk about the signs to cut off a relationship, tips to have the breakup conversation and navigate professional situations with former friends, the dynamic nature of balance, communicating joy, the importance of nonverbal communication, and consequent difficulties of Zoom communication. Please come back to hear about all these things and more. And in the meantime, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts to help other people find the show and share the podcast with your friends and family who may benefit from any of the content. It would really mean a lot to me. So have a great week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Harmony and Healing. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Harmony and Healing Podcast. And you can find me personally at The Jazzy Tubist on both Facebook and Instagram. And at my website, jasminepiggit.com. I'll see you next Thursday. Thank <laughs> you.